0: Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. A reading from Mark 10, verses 24 to
1: 26. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Verse 43 and 44. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever must be first among you must be slave of all. And verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. God. All right, why don't you guys take a seat. As you guys are getting situated, let me introduce myself. My name is Tim. I'm a member here at Hill City and every once in a while I get the opportunity to teach. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful when I do um, but more than anything I'm honored to be here with you all as we continue our worship this morning of the living God by looking at his word. This morning we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 10 so if you have your Bibles would you please turn there Um, If you've been with us this semester, you know that we've been going chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Mark, and we've entitled this sermon series, The Path of Our King. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that The Path of Our King, you may have noticed, is starting to become a little redundant. We're seeing and hearing some of the same things. I think it started in chapter 8. In chapter 8, Jesus predicted his death for the first time. In chapter 9, he predicted it for the second time. And here in chapter 10, we're going to see that he predicted it for the third time. And then there's this cycle, there's this pattern. Like every time after he predicts his death, his disciples, they try to shift the focus from the things of God back to the things of man. For instance, like after Jesus humbly predicts his death, They will not so humbly have these conversations about who is the greatest. And this morning is no different. In chapter 10, we're going to meet this this young man who is hyper-focused on uh, worldly wealth. And we're going to meet James and John who is hyper-focused on this this self-importance and their worldly uh, power and significance. And so after these disciples have these kingdom of me moments... Jesus comes in behind them and says, no, that's not what I want. That's not why I came. I need to teach you about the kingdom of God. I came to change those thinkings. I came to renew things. I came to rebuild and recreate your heart. And then he tells us what that's like and his teaching is starting to get familiar. He teaches things like, uh, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. And if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will save it. And he'll tell us in these chapters again over his teaching is, if you want to be first, you got to learn how to be last and servant of all. And here in chapter 10, the teaching is still familiar. He says stuff this day that uh, for many, uh, the first will be last and the last is first. So Jesus and his disciples are having these similar like give and take, these similar conversations. Now we need to know as we go into this like same conversation today that we've been having that when Jesus' teaching gets repetitive, he's up to some things. He's number one, he's up to something important. And number two, he's up to something good. Now, I learned this for the first time a few years ago when we were doing men's Bible study through the book of Hebrews. And in that book, there's some of the same themes that just go over and over again. And by week eight, I was like, God, I've had enough. I'm done. Like, I think I've learned all that I can learn. Uh, and, and I think, I, you know, I, I'm going to need to put it away. And in that moment, I don't know what it was, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I need to watch Karate Kid part one. And that was so encouraging to me for multiple reasons. Uh, But one of the reasons is when I watched this movie, I I saw that like when things get repetitive, it doesn't necessarily mean boredom or monotony. It may mean that we're being prepared for something amazing. And so I shared it with them and I want to share it with you. So Karate Kid, part one, there's this guy named Daniel. He's weak, he's small, and he's getting beat up at school. And uh, after he gets beat up this one time, there's this guy named Mr. Miyagi that comes and helps him out. And Daniel sees that Mr. Miyagi knows karate. And so we ask, Mr. Miyagi, can you teach me karate? And Mr. Miyagi reluctantly agrees and says, meet me tomorrow morning. And so they meet for like a week every morning. And every day, Mr. Miyagi gives Daniel this like chore to do. And the chore is this task that he wants done a specific way. And he wants it done over and over and over again until it's done. These chores are wax the car, wax on, wax off, paint the fence, uh, uh, sand the floor, and then paint a house. And every time it's over over again until it's done. And at the end of the week, Daniel's like, man, I've had enough. He's got blisters, he's sore, he's frustrated, his frustration is starting to go into anger and he's gonna go tell Mr. Miyagi like what he really thinks and give him uh, a piece of his mind. And so let's take a look at how this interaction took place.
2: Sandafloa, sandafloa, big sucker, sandafloa, sandafloa. I'll show me wax on wax off. Hey. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off, hey. Wax on hat. Wax off. At. Concentrate. Look my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on hat. Wax off. At. Wax on hat. Axe off, Axe on. Axe off. Bush. Show me, paint the fence. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side, look eye. Always look eye. Show me, paint the house, side, side. Acculist. Side side. Side side. Yes. Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! 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 Show me pentafense! Hey! Hey! Yes! Yes! Show me side to side! Yes! 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 Yes. Shoot me, sand or floor. G про�ourse, thee GREG Good-bye. Hey. And look I Always look I.
0: so, you know, the last several chapters, I'm not sure if Jesus' disciples wanted to have this conversation with Jesus over and over again. I'm not sure that they wanted to have it once. I know this morning, and I'm going to be honest with you, like, I don't know if I want to have some of the conversations with Jesus that Jesus is going to have with us. Because Jesus is going to put his finger on some things that are getting personal like our money, my wealth. And, and he's going to put his, his finger in a place in our hearts that, that, that by doing so might make us feel uncomfortable or shallow. And I don't think that that's necessarily his purpose, but that's maybe what happened. And, and it would be easier if we just swept that stuff under the rug. But I need to hear this because this is stuff that I struggle with. Like, and this is just me being transparent with you guys. Like, I've struggled with this stuff for a really long time. Like, 20 years ago, when I chose my profession as a physician, two of the main reasons I did that was because of the money and the social status that came along with it. And it's embarrassing to say, but I think Jesus wants me to hold this in front of his teaching as he teaches it over and over again. And let me remember that when he teaches against this stuff and hits it head on, he's up to something important and he's up to something good. So when he teaches this stuff over and over again, like we need to know that he's not trying to break us down or he's not trying to burden us. But just like Mr. Miyagi with Daniel, he was trying to build him up. Jesus is trying to make us strong. So with that, guys, Let's get into the teaching today. We're going to start in uh, verse 17, and we're going to go to 45. We're going fast, so get your coffee. Let's go. Verse 17, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. All right, we meet this guy. We're going to find out in a moment he's got a lot of money. But he comes and he's in the presence of Jesus for for no more than two split seconds before he asks the million-dollar question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He comes and he asks the big question, and Jesus is going to give the big answer. In fact, he's going to give this guy more than he bargained for. He's gonna do soul surgery on this guy. He's gonna crack this guy's chest and he's gonna find the sin cancer in there that's gonna keep him from living the full life for all eternity. But Jesus wants to do something before he answers the question. He wants to tell this guy that he has the authority to do that. And so you may have noticed that this guy, he comes in and he says, hey, good teacher. And Jesus is like, all right, we're just gonna stop there uh and let me let me just get things straight before we move on you called me good but jesus says but only god is good almost as if he wants this guy to connect the dots uh he's like hey do the math uh and the math is is that jesus is god and so when this guy thinks back on this conversation is like when what right did Jesus have to talk to me about my money? Well, he has every right because he's God. So as Jesus is doing soul surgery, maybe on some of us this morning, and he is trying to renew our hearts and our minds, uh, and it starts to get uncomfortable, well, well, one, like just be assured that like he is highly qualified to do that because he's God. And he doesn't just want to uh to remove he wants to renew he wants to rebuild and uh and he does so and is qualified because he's God all right so so Jesus is like now that we got that out of the way I'll answer the question and in 18 and Jesus said to him uh well in 19 you know the commandments possession. All right, here we are. We're getting into some thick territory, Jesus and wealth. Now, Jesus talks about money more than almost anything else, and he, as far as I can tell, rarely has anything favorable to say about it. When you, see, when you hear Jesus talk about money, it's almost as if he's describing a game of hot potato. He's like, woe to the person that holds on to it too much. In fact, hold on to it as loosely as possible. Pass it on as quickly as you can. Don't store it up. Don't put it in your pocket. And certainly don't chase it. If you do, you won't win. This is how Jesus talks about money A lot and the tone here in chapter 10 is no different as we see Jesus and this interchange between this man we see some things about money and wealth one is for this guy is um, money was addictive to him in in a sense It, it had a way of getting between his heart and God even when nothing else could so this guy, this guy was a good guy. On the outside, he did all the right things. He didn't cheat or steal to get his money. He made his mom proud. He didn't have an anger problem. More likely than not, he didn't have a sex problem or a drug problem, but the one thing that got his heart was money, and it grabbed it, and it wouldn't let go. For this guy money was a ball and chain and when he realized that man he could only go so far because he was connected to this ball and chain it didn't make him happy it took his joy it says that he was disheartened he had sorrow he had his money he had his stuff but he also had a bag full of sorrow more than that for this guy like it seems that like as I read this, I'm thinking, man, like money shrunk this guy's like capacity for like the big things. At least for this guy. I mean, he came into this story and he was geared up, man. He was like, man, teach me about these big things like eternal life. And and then Jesus says, why don't you just take your money and, and sell it? And at that, like this guy's focus went from the infinite down to the finite real quick. And then he, he, he left but then Jesus then he, he has some teaching about money too and it seems like Jesus is saying that hey if you're going to come and and follow me into the kingdom of God and you're carrying like a bunch of money and stuff like it, it could be really difficult let's see how Jesus says it in verse 23 and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with god i mean to me this is like this is a lot i mean when when jesus is impossible i mean i take that to mean like it can't happen like uh, a camel cannot go through the eye of a needle and uh people with wealth like without jesus can't enter the kingdom of god like he's saying, man, money doesn't give you any advantage to get into into heaven, um, and um, it, it can't buy it can't buy a ticket there. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, like, it may be a stumbling block for us. So, like, when I look back and I'm seeing, like, all right, so so money it it can be addictive. It it can like. Uh, it can take your joy. It can get in the way of, like, the, the truly important things in life. It, it can't buy you a ticket to heaven, and it may be a stumbling block. I mean, other than that, I'm, I'm sure money is fine. It's, it's great. But then again, I, I don't know, may, maybe not. Like, but what else is there? I mean, like, how, how do we do life? What, what alternative is there if there's, if there's not that? And so Jesus knows that, and he is going to give us an alternative. He is going to start showing us that this kingdom that he wants to build, this new status quo that he wants to create. And he tells us this in verse 31. It says there, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now this had to have been completely profound for his disciples And if you are still listening this morning, it's got to be completely profound to you because for the mind that is in this world, this is just crazy talk. I mean, Jesus, when he wants to redefine things, he wants to redefine things. The first is no longer first, he says. The last is no longer last. I mean, in in this discussion, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, take everything you know that, that the world has taught you about wealth and success Like, and then flush that down the toilet because you need to have your minds trained and your hearts trained to think about wealth, like, completely different. It's a lot to comprehend. It's a lot to understand. I I keep on thinking, man, like, what's the catch? Surely there's a catch. But I'm not sure that there is a catch because Jesus keeps on saying this stuff, like, over and over again. It's, It's like he's unrelenting in how he talks about this new status quo. And uh, I think he knows that it must be a lot for us, and so he pulls his disciples in, and he's going to start to share how he's going to turn the world's ideas on their head. He tells us the how starting in verse 32. And they were on their uh, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus isn't going to change things with some military campaign or some slick propaganda scheme mainly we're going to find out he's not going to do those because those things won't work but he is going to do what will work he's going to get it done through his death and resurrection jesus believes like what he's trying to to teach his disciples he jesus believes that hits the very best and so he is going to lead by example big time he is going to redefine and recreate and renew things, not by shouting orders from his majestic throne, but he is going to change things by waking up out of death and walking out of the grave. And when I think about uh, and hear that, I'm like, I don't know what's more wild what Jesus wants to do or how he's going to do it. It's a lot and speaking of a lot we're about to meet james and john and like i'm endeared to these guys i love these guys mainly because i see myself in these guys like quite a bit but when you when we see the response that they have to how jesus is going to do this uh and his death and resurrection like you realize these guys are a bunch of boneheads all right so let's look at what they have to say in verse 35 it says and James and John the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you and he said to them what do you want me uh, what do you want me to do for you and they said to him grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory so Jesus has just shared with these guys the most important events in all of history an event that included his torture and murder. And for these guys, it was almost as if they had only heard Jesus tell them what he was going to have for dinner that night. Like it went in one ear and out the other. They completely missed the importance uh, uh, and the goodness of the cross because they were so focused on themselves. Just like the rich young man couldn't imagine a greatness or a world without his wealth, like James and John can't imagine a world or a greatness that uh, did not include the world seeing them as significant and having power. Now the question needs to be asked is, is like are we being too hard on James and John? Like is there, is there a request for a high position? Is that really wrong? And I would say that Jesus would say No, on the surface. But the problem is, is that the surface is inevitably connected to something deeper. So James and John are not asking for a high position because like they want to feed this part of their heart that like wants to further the kingdom of God. They're making this request because there's a part of their heart that has self love in it and they want to feed that self love and when they do it very quickly goes to self idolatry and so when you when you peel back the the surface that's what you see and that's what Jesus wants to 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 challenge is that idolatry but that's not what Je- and that's not what Jesus wants and and again I mean Jesus's uh mode and mission here is is what he's trying to do is he wants to rework that heart he wants to to pull back the surface and he wants to reconnect the lines he wants to he wants to wash away that self-love and he wants to recreate the heart and so the things on the surface that feed the heart are completely different that's what Jesus wants to do uh, and that's his mission has been trying to teach his disciples over and over again and so he's going to keep chipping away at this and and trying to keep pushing towards this last is first economy and so he does and the conversation keeps keeps on going between James and John and Jesus and 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 the conversation just gets weird just gets weirder um as we're reading the next few verses like it's almost as if Jesus is speaking Swahili to a group of middle school boys I mean these boys these disciples like their their understanding is is very very low but man, their confidence is very, very high. So as, as we read that, I want you to see this. And we're going to read a lot of verses here. Uh, we're going to miss a lot of stuff. But what I want you to get is, is I, want you to, I want you to see how Jesus is just pushing and teaching this last is first economy. And then I want you to see how his disciples just don't get it. He does teaching. They don't get it. He does teaching. Okay. We are in uh, verse 38. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the uh, cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Jesus is saying here, man, you follow me. This last is first economy. There's a lot of suffering. And at that they said to him, yeah, we're able. No problem. And Jesus said to them, yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, like, it was a yes or no question. And I'm pretty sure by, by their answer, they didn't even understand the question. Uh, and, they, and they said to him, yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And then we hear from the disciples again. And then the 10 heard it and then began to be indignant at James and John. So this isn't just a James or John problem. This is like an everybody problem. This is like all the disciples. The disciples were mad. The only reason they were mad was because they didn't ask Jesus first for those positions. Like, and so like Jesus is talking and they just go back to like, hey, can you give me stuff? Can you make me more cool in this world, all right? And so then Jesus, like he hears them, but he just keeps going, and he gets back into his familiar teaching. And Jesus called uh, them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered uh, rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. All righty. At some point, we got to realize, the disciples got to realize that, like, if we're even going to get it or have any hope of our minds or our hearts being, like, redirected and conformed to Jesus' teaching, like, we need something big. Like, Jesus has been teaching, and his teaching is good, but, like, the teaching's not getting it done. We need something more. We need to know what Jesus already knew and had planned for. If we're going to get it, we need verse 45. So here it is, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here Jesus says that I am the son of man. He's the Messiah. We've already established that he's the son of God. And as such, he he gets to do whatever he wants to do. It's one of the perks of being God. His thoughts and his actions are only determined by his deepest desires. But here's the good news for sinners like you and me that can't do it ourselves. He did not, like one of his great desires is not to be served, but to serve. It's what makes his heart happy. Like things like things like serving humility, being lowly, being uh, last so that others can be first. These are the things that stir Jesus' affections. This is what causes his joy to overflow from the very top. That's how it always has been for Jesus, and that's how it always will be for him. And this great joy that we just can't comprehend, he wants to give it to us. This is the teaching and this is the stuff that he's been trying to get his disciples to understand for the last three chapters. But they don't get it. They can't get it. And the reason that that can't happen is because the quality and the quantity of that type of joy just cannot fit in a, sin, in a sinful mind or a sinful heart. But Jesus, he has a servant's heart. He doesn't just, he's not just willing to do things, he's wanting to do things. He is wanting to make the impossible possible for us and for his disciples. And he's wanting and willing to do that whatever it takes, and what it takes was for him to give his life as a ransom for many. So in the last few moments, let's talk about ransom. So ransom, not completely unlike what we see, uh, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like what we see in the movies. It's, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's not like a billionaire CEO's daughter got kidnapped on a, on a spring break trip to Latin America. The people that are uh, kidnapped in, in, these, in this Bible context were prisoners of war or slaves that couldn't pay their debt. And the ransom came with a price. And the price was determined by a few different things. One was the severity of crime or the level of transgression that was committed. For instance, if you stole a stick of bubblegum, the, the, the ransom would be a lot less than if you killed the, uh, or assassinated a rival king and then got caught that ransom would be much higher the other thing that determines the price of the ransom is the unique value that the person had to the one paying the ransom for instance if you were some random kid down the street you would pay uh, a lot less for that than you would for your own child now that's now that's ransom let's talk about ransom specifically in this verse in verse 45. Jesus is the one that's paying this ransom. You and I, we are the ones that need to be ransomed. Now the price of the ransom, that's harder to describe. That's harder to determine. That price is harder to quote. Because the crime that we have committed, it was of the worst kind. God has come to us and says, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my children. I want my treasure to be your treasure, and we rejected his offer, and we spit in his face. And as you might imagine, that has incited anger in him, and rightfully so. And the price that it takes to appease the wrath of a righteous God, that price is inconceivable. But more than that, We didn't just reject God, we ran the other way. We ran after things that do not last and do not satisfy, but we kept running. And the whole time we were just tightening the bonds of sin and shame that lead to death. The price that it takes to break this prisoner free, to wash their hearts and to renew the mind, that price, it cannot be fathomed. Now, even if we could find or know someone that has the value that could pay this ransom, the question is, is would they even want to? Well, there is somebody that is valuable enough. His name is Jesus. He's the son of God and he's worthy. And as to the question, why would he want to do that? Well, I think the answer is in verse 21, talking to the rich young man. It says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved the rich young man. And he sees us, he sees us for what we are. He sees us as slaves. But he loved us. He loved us so much that he didn't want to just pay our ransom in part. He wanted to pay it in full with his life. And when you look at this, when you look at the value of Jesus from the outside, yeah, it's crazy. But when you look at it from a sinner's perspective and you see the value of Jesus and the ransom that he paid for you, it's still crazy. It's crazy awesome. And you start to understand things in a way that you couldn't have understood them any other way. Your appetites change. The things of this world fade away because you have tasted and seen glory, infinite glory. If you're serving communion, would you please go to your spots? And with the rest of you guys, would you guys please stand and let me pray over you guys?